This is Ezekiel Drews, host of Podcast, a Star Wars story. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Hey, it's Baxter Colburn here from Public House Media. Did you know that we just added a store here at Public House Media? No, I'm not talking about a grocery store where you can go buy apples or bananas or peanut butter, which are all fantastic, especially when peanut butter's on all of those. Anyway, we've added a store here at Public House Media so you can not only come and represent your favorite podcast network, but also represent your favorite shows as well, too. Just go over to phmedia.com. And look in the top right corner where you'll see the, the button that says store. Click on that and you can search through all of our great products. Or if you go to our Facebook page, Public House Media, you can see on the left-hand side a tab that says store. All of our products are listed there as well, too. It's the new Public House Media store. You don't want to miss it. It is fantastic. Buy some of that great swag to support your favorite shows and to support Public House Media. Check it out today. This is Kim Meyer, the host of Choose to Rise here on Public House Media. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Once you're done with this episode, I hope you'll come check out my show, Choose to Rise, where we talk about living with positive mindsets, how to increase our confidence, building our faith, and living out our life on purpose. A new show comes out via podcast every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And if you want to catch the episode live instead, stop by Public House Media around 645 Central Standard Time, Monday, Wednesday, Friday as well. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode of Choose to Rise. Thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on Public House Media. The latest headlines. If they go out and wipe the floor with the Texans, I might buy in. The insightful interviews. Whitney McIntosh, SB Nation. I was more impressed with John Carlos. Especially when you consider Aaron Judge's all-star squad. The hottest takes. Yeah, Saquon Barkley had a great game against Iowa, but he hasn't done much. Can all be found on Press, Press Row. Row. Here's your host. It's clearly time for a change. It's only a matter of time before it happens. Christian Heimel. Welcome into the program on this Thursday, May 3rd, 2018. Christian Heimel here with you on Press Row, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. Thanks so much for listening wherever, however you may be doing so. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, or of course, as always, on thephmedia.com. You can check us out there. As well as get some awesome cheap seat, excuse me, get some awesome press row gear. You can do some cheap seats gear as well. Any of the other podcasts on the Public House Network, you can check out on thephmedia.com. Don't forget to get in touch with the show on social media. Facebook, Press Row by Public House Media. Twitter and Instagram handle at Press Row PHM. You can also email the show, Press Row PHM at gmail.com. There's an interesting dynamic when it comes to being a sports fan. Certain teams take over. Certain teams go on these runs. They're these dynasties, so to speak. And we either love them because they're our fan, we're fans of them, or we hate them because we're tired of always seeing them there. The problem with the second half of that is as much as we don't want to see those teams continue to win, we won't watch if they're not part of it. It's why so many people watched the Super Bowl the last two years to see if the Patriots would actually lose. It's why so many people are still watching Red Sox-Yankees, no matter what. Because whether you're a fan of the teams or you hate them, you want to see them play, whether you hate them or not. And it's one of the reasons why, no matter how much you may say 
You are tired of hearing Golden State, Cleveland. You're tired of LeBron and Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and Kevin Love and J.R. Smith. You're still watching. If you were really tired of it, you wouldn't watch. But you're watching because it's great TV, because it's the best there is. It's what makes NBA so great are these teams and watching them. And if LeBron were to lose that Game 7 and the Cavaliers didn't make it to the second round, you wouldn't be watching. You mean to tell me that you would rather watch a team without the best player in the world playing in the second round for a championship? You mean to tell me that you would rather watch the Indiana Pacers and the Toronto Raptors as opposed to the Cleveland Cavaliers? Now, I get it. Don't get me wrong. Victor Oladipo is a lot of fun to watch. Boyan Bogdanovich had a great series. But you can't tell me that you wouldn't rather watch LeBron James. You can't tell me that you, you know, if you wouldn't rather watch Golden State against Houston as opposed to New Orleans against Houston. You can't tell me that. You can't do it. It's the same reason why so many people are rooting for the 76ers. It's because you'd rather watch them. So uh, you can't tell me that just because you're tired of hearing them, that you would rather watch something else. You're tired of hearing about the Cavaliers and about LeBron James and his quest to be better than Michael Jordan, for us to make him better than Michael. You can't tell me that. Because if you did, if you really believed that, you wouldn't be watching. That's the biggest thing. If you really believed that you didn't want to watch, you were tired of seeing the Patriots in the Super Bowl, you wouldn't watch the Super Bowl. So don't tell me that. If you were tired of seeing Ohio State football, Alabama football, if you were really tired of it, then stop watching. It's that simple. Yet we're doing it. You know why? Because we're watching one of the greatest to ever play the game. We're watching a couple of the greatest to ever play the game. We may single-handedly be in the era of the greatest player and the greatest team in basketball history. And they very well may meet in the NBA Finals for the fourth straight year. Yet you're telling me you're tired of it? that you wouldn't watch it, and then you lie and say and actually watch it. So don't tell me that you're tired of hearing about it. Because let me tell you right now, if you watched Game 7 against Indiana, if you watched Game 1 against Toronto, and LeBron James' performance, you were mesmerized. You really were. You can say it through your gritted teeth, you can bite your tongue afterwards, but you were amazed at watching what LeBron James did. A triple-double in Toronto in Game 1. Single-handedly pouring in 45 points. His third 40-point performance of the first round to lift Cleveland past Indiana and carry them into the second round. You mean to tell me you're not impressed? That you wouldn't want to watch that every night? Come on. That's asinine. It's ignorant. And it's stupid. And that's one of the things that really is insane to me about us as fans. Oh, I'm tired of seeing them there. Then don't watch. You, know, you can't tell me that you're tired of seeing them and then go ahead and watch them. You can't do it. You really can't. But this is the NBA that's in. That's here, you know? It is. And say what you will. I mean, listen. Do I think that the NBA is corrupt in wants and it's pre-scripted to have LeBron in here? No. The goaltend that wasn't called against Cleveland in, I think it was, what, Game 5 in Indiana? That doesn't help, you know? The fact that 
Toronto somehow, some way in the final eight seconds of regulation, couldn't get a shot to fall and win that game one doesn't help. Now, do I think that was scripted? No, because you can't get five players to just all agree to miss the shot that's going to win the game on their home court against Cleveland. But you certainly cannot tell me that you wouldn't watch because it's the greatest player, potentially, of all time against, arguably, the greatest team of all time in Golden State. And that's why it's so much fun. Think about it from a baseball standpoint. You're really going to tell me that you're tired of the Yankees? Like, the Yankees aren't the good guys. They aren't the underdogs. You're tired of that? And I'm speaking from Red Sox Nation in this one. Because it's John Carlos Stanton, because it's Aaron Judge. Oh, they always get the big superstars? You're still watching. If you really didn't care, and you didn't want to watch it, you wouldn't watch it. It's that simple. You know? Oh, the Red Sox are our little brother, and I'm speaking from the Yankee side of things now. The Red Sox, oh, they're just big whiners. They have an inferiority complex. I'm tired of watching them you know, continuously try to be better than us. But you're still watching. You're still watching. All the Patriot haters. I'm tired of seeing Tom Brady. I hate Bill Belichick. They always, you know, I'm tired of seeing, why can't they get actual receivers? They always just plug in some random white guy, a wide receiver, and they win a Super Bowl. You're still watching. Because it's the best that you're going to see. And that's what we ultimately care about. We ultimately don't care about who it is, what it is, for how long it is. We just want it to be the best. Because if you sit there and you actually ask any NBA fan, you ask anybody whose team isn't currently in the playoffs right now, and ask them, would you rather watch the Phoenix Suns against the Brooklyn Nets, or would you rather watch the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James against the Golden State Warriors? Eight of you will say you'd rather watch Cleveland Golden State, the other two would be wrong. So don't tell me that you're tired of seeing all this and that you're not going to watch it and then go ahead and watch it because it's what the best possible outcome is right now. That being said, can Cleveland actually survive Toronto? Will they survive Philadelphia or Boston in the next round? Will Golden State survive Houston in the next round? If Houston even gets out of the second second round. There's still a lot to be decided here. So as much as everybody's already up in arms about LeBron James winning game one and about the Celtics blowing out Philadelphia, which nobody saw coming, by the way, instead of complaining about it, let's just sit back, relax, and enjoy some awesome basketball. It's a lot of fun to watch it. It really, really is. Jared Greenberg, NBA TV, Sirius XM, NBA Radio is going to join us here in a little bit to talk about these playoffs. And (laughs) look, I mean, the Eastern Conference is wide open, and we knew that at the start. We knew that as soon as Kyrie Irving got traded. As soon as that happened, we all thought it was going to be, a lot of people still felt Cleveland was the favorite because they had LeBron James. I felt the Celtics were clearly the favorite with Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving. And now... With the injury to Gordon Hayward six minutes into the season, the injury to Kyrie Irving before the playoffs started, there's a lot of question marks in the air. But this Celtics team went through a war with Milwaukee in the first round. Played really good defense. Marcus Smart in the last three games of that series were tremendous. And then the Celtics went out and played insane defense against Philadelphia, a team that had won three in a row in the playoffs, had won 16 in a row at the end of the regular season, and looked unstoppable. Ben Simmons looked like Magic Johnson. 
Joel Embiid looked like Bill Russell, except a three-point shooting Bill Russell. And the Celtics stopped them. Not just stopped them, obliterated them in Boston with a bunch of ragtags. No Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum is emerging into something absolutely tremendous. There's a lot, a lot of promise in the Celtics series. And a lot of promise in that Cavaliers series because, I mean, you're going to go to overtime in game one after that game seven. That's a lot of fun. That is a lot of fun. The question, of course, becomes, can they sustain it? Can these two teams actually sustain that? It seems as though pretty obvious that Golden State is going to advance past New Orleans. They've, uh, you know, kind of been a bit of a wake-up call to to the Pelicans here over the last couple of uh, games. Granted, they had a pretty close one in Game 2, but Steph Curry's back, so good luck. And then Houston's got a little bit of a war with the Jazz. This is a great time to be a basketball fan. It really is. And this is coming from someone who a few years ago had given up on basketball, stopped watching the NBA. Because it just wasn't fun. But now you've got a young team in Philadelphia, a really young and injury-laden team in Boston that is still finding ways to compete, the best player in the world in LeBron James, and you've got two teams out in West, Golden State and Houston, that are really, really fun to watch. Utah is fun to watch. Donovan Mitchell has gone nuts. Oh, man, how much fun is this kid? New Orleans, Anthony Davis. Again, you've got some superstars on these teams, and it is a lot of fun to watch. And then you have, you know, teams where there are superstars that they aren't, you know, playing anymore, like Oklahoma City. And we'll ask Jerry Greenberg about this, but the future of the Thunder. And who's really to blame about it? Because I'll be 100% honest with you. I think the guy to blame is the one guy who hasn't left yet. That's right. I, I think Russell Westbrook is one of the bigger problems in Oklahoma City. You can't tell me that a guy who can average a triple-double in back-to-back seasons yet can't win a playoff series with Paul George, one of the better talents in the league right now, and Carmelo Anthony, one of the better scorers the league has seen in the last 20 years. You can't tell me he couldn't do that with Kevin Durant, arguably the second best player in the league right now. He couldn't do that with James Harden, who will probably be the MVP this year in Houston. Serge Ibaka. There's a lot of issues in Oklahoma City. I'm not saying it's all Russell Westbrook. I'm saying we need to start considering it might be a little bit of him. So we'll ask Jared about that as well. We've got your fan questions coming up. Quick check of the other headlines as well in the wide world of sports. You're on the Public House Media Network. This is Press Row. This is Katie, co-host of Coffee with Keith and Katie here on Public House Media. Once you are done with this episode, I hope you'll come check out my show, Coffee with Keith and Katie, where we talk about the adventures of our daily lives and relationships. A new show comes out every Tuesday and Friday at 8.30 p.m. Central. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode of Coffee with Keith and Katie. Thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on Public House Media. Want to be part of the show? Go to Facebook and search Press Row Podcast Public House Media. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Press Row PHM. You can also email the program Press Row PHM at gmail.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a Public House Media podcast.
Back on Prep Row, Chris and I were here with you as the NBA playoffs in the midst of their second round. Big wins in game one for the Boston Celtics as well as the Cleveland Cavaliers. Of course, Steph Curry returning for Golden State as well. Help us break it all down. Jared Greenberg, NBA TV, Sirius XM, NBA Radio. Back on the program once again. Uh, Jared, more telling in game one uh, for Cleveland or for Toronto in that overtime contest? Ooh, um, I think the easy answer here is Toronto, right? Just the Raptors being the Raptors. Uh, but but I think I think it's interesting though the way they lost and the way Cleveland won. You know, I think there are positives to take away from from both teams, which is kind of surprising because if you had told me before Game One that the Raptors would lose, I'd say, well, there, there, there's no way they recover from that. I mean, that that's the worst case scenario. Cleveland coming off the seven game series, only one day off. Raptors at home got to win that game. But I think for them, the way they lost wasn't the same old Raptors. Sure, sure, on the surface it looks like it is, but I think a lot of their issues are correctable. And, heck, if Jonas Valanciunas makes one of the six layups that he missed, <laughs> they win the game. Yeah. But I think from the flip side of things, which has got to be concerning for the Raptors, is that Cleveland got something that they haven't really gotten at all this postseason, and that is a lot of role players stepping up and playing well. I mean, for the first time this postseason, somebody other than LeBron scored 20 points in a game. And it's a great sign that J.R. Smith, on top of the solid defense he's been playing, hit some big buckets. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, Kevin Love had some moments, and he'll come along as long as he's healthy. And hopefully it's a good sign for the Cavs to build on it. But, but the Raptors need to respond and just, I think, you know, play that same style of basketball that, that earned them a 14-point lead. It's easier said than done, I'm sure. But, um, you know, there, there's just some easy layups missed that cost them the game. Did we see the real Cavaliers team? Because during the first series, it felt as though it was just LeBron James carrying four other guys to the second round, especially in Game 7. Was Game 1 more of, of what we should expect from Cleveland? No, no idea, Christian. I, I wish I had the answers. But, you know, this, this Cavs team, which has gone through, you know, like six or seven different versions of itself this year with all of the injuries, uh, all of the trades that were made, all the different lineup changes Ty Lue has kind of made throughout the year. You know, I, I would be stunned if you told me that, that there weren't two or three different starting lineups that we see from the Cavs the remainder of this series. You know, I, I think that, you know, it's been part of the issue here is that LeBron has needed to play all 82 games. He's needed to have maybe his, his best and most efficient offensive year of his entire career just to get them into the playoffs, which is, is amazing to say. Um, and, and now you just watch the gas tank for LeBron. You know, in game one, he came out in the first quarter, which is kind of stunning. Mm-hmm. Um they they were able to overcome that with him taking a couple of breaks, which you know for most players his breaks are are nothing. Uh, but but you know that was obviously good enough for him to, to help them win an overtime, and we'll see how it impacts the rest of the series. On the other side of things in the Eastern Conference, I mean the Celtics go through an absolute war. They don't have Jalen Brown for Game One, probably won't have him for Game Two, and then they go out and seemingly in control the entire time against a, a well-rested Philadelphia squad. Uh, where was that? Who was more telling for that Game One, Boston or Philadelphia? I think Boston. Um, you know, I think that the the, the one thing that, that I, I think we forget about Philly, and that this is not to say that they can't come back and win the series. I'm not going to let one game, you know, you know, dictate how the whole thing is going to go. But you know, Philly is counting on young players to win playoff series. I, I get that they brought in some really good veterans and some guys who have playoff experience and who have been around. But when you're asking as much as Philadelphia is from guys who have never been in this situation before. It's tough to win, even against a depleted Boston team. But I think we're seeing 
truly the genius of Brad Stevens, how great of a coach he is, how well-prepared he gets his team, and how much they respond to him. Um, now, ultimately, Philly is still a more talented team, and once Jalen Brown comes back, I think that that you know, makes, obviously, Boston much more dangerous. But while Boston, by, any, by, by, by no stretch of the imagination, is an old team, um, especially with all their injuries, they do have players who have been in this situation before. You know, you're seeing guys like Al Horford know how to pace himself and how to go through these games, and that is a huge, huge added bonus for this team. And, and you know, once Jalen Brown comes back, I think that that's going to add a, another uh, dimension that, that Philly may not be ready for. You mentioned J.R. Smith and the defense he was playing. How important is Marcus Smart's defensive ability to the Celtics? Huge. And it's just, you know, his presence is big. You know, he's he's one of the real leaders on this team. You know, he, he's a guy who um, is kind of like your modern-day NBA player. Not that he shoots the three ball all that well, but uh, and sometimes, you know, he, he beats your team, he beats his own team as much as he beats the opponent with taking reckless shots. But you'll take it because of what he brings to the table. I mean, it's kind of gone underappreciated over the last couple of years how the Celtics have used Marcus Smart, a guy who's, you know, been pigeonholed into a mold of, of, of a backup point guard, but truly he guards everyone from the point guard to the power forward. And, and I think he provides Brad Stevens with so much flexibility, a guy who can plug into the starting lineup like he did the other night. And once Shalen Brown comes back, I'm sure he'll feel very comfortable having him come off the bench where, where Brad Stevens has raved about uh, Stevens as a sixth man the last couple of years. Speaking with Jared Greenberg, NBA TV, as well as Sirius XM NBA radio here. Um, it's kind of a silver lining this whole season with Gordon Hayward going down six minutes into the year and then, of course, Kyrie prior to the postseason that the Celtics fans just had the ability to say, well, wait till we're healthy next year. But how much more of a silver lining is it when guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier uh, are getting all of these minutes in very crucial, critical games to be able to have that kind of experience heading into next year? No, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. You know, I, I kind of felt like, you know, this year was a free pass for the Celtics anyway. You know, coming in, obviously, you had big expectations. A team that had gone to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then they get Hayward, and they get Kyrie, and Jalen Brown's a year older, and Jason Tatum looks like he's going to be a stud. I, I get people wanting to say that, okay, they should have legitimately been able to challenge Cleveland or Toronto to go to the NBA Finals. But ultimately, what's great about this team is that they, they all pretty much knew that they were coming back the following year. Not that you ever – can bank on that in the NBA because as the Celtics know as well as anybody, injuries happen. Mm -hmm. But but this team was using this year to be kind of a launching point for where they're headed. And ultimately, what they're getting from Tatum and Rozier and so many other guys that Brad Stevens now has endless weapons that once they do get completely healthy, uh, I think might be the, the deepest and most dangerous team heading into next year in the NBA. For those who maybe don't remember what this – rivalry was like the Celtics and the Sixers I mean how how much are we watching what well, how old do you think the, I am Christian uh, oh come on Jerry. you, think you know, I remember I that come no on. I know I know that but you you and I at least remember prior you know the Allen Iverson <laughs> days at least there are some kids who don't even remember those those <laughs> matchups <laughs> um, which is a little scary to think of right now but uh how much are we watching the future rivalry uh the, the latest reiteration how much of this is going to continue over the next couple of years Boston and Philadelphia in this rekindled rivalry yeah, you know, kind of. I'll, I'll pump the brakes for a second just to kind of contradict my previous statement, but nobody's listening, right? So <laughs> it's cool. Um, you know, you, you, you can't 
you can't count on anything, especially with this Philadelphia team who's had so many freak injuries, um, and, and Boston, obviously, what they've gone through this year. Um, you know, it's easy just to say, all right, for the next five, seven years, this is it. Um, and, and let's not forget, too, you know, the, the big elephant in the NBA room right now is where is LeBron headed? Right. And certainly whether, you know, if LeBron goes to – probably not going to Boston, but if he goes to Philly or if he doesn't go to Philly, these two teams are very good anyway. But LeBron dictates, you know, where the balance of power begins and ends. So, um, you know, I think everybody in the NBA, whether they think they're getting LeBron or not, will be impacted on where LeBron goes this summer. As we switch things over to the Western Conference here, uh, Houston and obviously Golden State seem to be on a collision course. But what are the chances after, especially after Game Two, with Steph Curry back for Cle- or yeah. for Golden State to still have to hold on to that uh, game against New Orleans? But does New Orleans or Utah do either of them really have an opportunity here, considering New Orleans had that clean sweep and Anthony Davis and Utah went through a really big battle there with Oklahoma City and, and Donovan Mitchell seems to be growing into a, a tremendous player of his, in his own right? Do either of these two teams have the ability? to make it to the Western Conference Finals? To make it to the Western Conference Finals, I'd say no. Um, I, I'd be surprised if, if Houston and, and Golden State both sweep their second-round series. I, I would like to think that, that Utah uh, and New Orleans can come up with at least a game, um, You know, especially now with, with New Orleans heading home and, and Utah um, You know, eventually in Game 3. They'll be back to their place where the crowd has been you know, the best playoff crowd in basketball so far. Uh, just don't ask Russell Westbrook. But... Um, <laughs> You know, I think that the interesting thing about New Orleans is, you know, you get 71 combined points last night from Drew Holiday, Rondo, and Anthony Davis, and you lose. Mm-hmm. Um, now, listen, we all know AD is capable of, you know, putting up 60 points on his own, so maybe that changes what I'm saying. But it, it just seems like from a pure box score standpoint, I don't know how much more you can get out of your prime guys and expect to win, you know, because – the thing about Golden State in game, game two is that they could be better, right? So while the Pelicans certainly think that they can improve, you better hope that doesn't happen at the same time as, as the Warriors feeling better about themselves. Speaking with Jared Greenberg, NBA TV and Sirius NBA XM Radio, uh, as we look here, uh, you mentioned Russell Westbrook there, and we talked about LeBron leaving this summer. There's a chance that Carmelo and Paul George could both leave. Of course, Carmelo has to opt out of $28 mm-hmm. million dollars and take a lot less money. Likely that one or both of them leave uh, in Oklahoma City? I find it hard to believe that Paul George comes back. Um, again, you know, I say all of this with, you know, putting the LeBron effect out there. You know, right. LeBron's controlling the market. And, not you know, people are going to want Paul George no matter what. But is Paul George going to have to wait to sign until LeBron makes up his mind? Um, and the interesting part, you know, a lot of people around NBA circles are talking about these days is that, you know, it it will, will, will certainly change things if, for the first time in eight years, LeBron has a couple months to make a decision if he's eliminated before the NBA Finals, mm-hmm. as opposed to a couple of weeks to make up his mind, as he has uh, in previous times that he's been a free agent. But, but I see, I see little chance that, that Paul George returns. You know, remember the reason why he's in Oklahoma City is because he wanted to go to LA and Indiana you know, was told that there was no chance he was sticking around, right? So the Pacers tried to get as much as they could for him, and, and it turns out that, 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 that Kevin Pritchard was really the winner of, of the NBA offseason yeah. last year, maybe in addition to Danny Ainge. In terms of Carmelo, you know, it's going to be interesting. You know, some comments made by Sam Presti, the team's president, um, on Wednesday afternoon uh, is a little uh, 
little interesting because he says, you know, Carmelo's essentially going to have to ask himself the question if he's going to accept his role as a stretch player in, in his transition in his career. And, you know, Melo's already said he's not going to be a, a guy coming off the bench. Um, you know, I, I've said this all along. I thought that Sam Presti and the Thunder made the right move last summer. I thought you had to go all in. You had to prove to Russell Westbrook that you were willing to do this and that worked because you got him to sign that Supermax $200 million deal. But ultimately, what the Thunder are staring at is a very likely uh, chance that the 18-19 roster is going to make the seven, the 16-17 roster where Russell Westbrook won MVP look like a dream roster because the Thunder aren't going to be very good next year if, if, if they're counting on Carmelo Anthony to be their number two scorer. Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, Paul George, potentially Carmelo Anthony as well, all of these guys leaving Oklahoma Enos City. Cantor. Enos Cantor. Is, is it is it out of is it crazy for me to think that the the biggest issue in Oklahoma City is the one guy who hasn't left yet? Uh, I I don't think you're wrong for bringing up the the topic. You know, Russell Westbrook is the common denominator, and you know I think that um, you know Sam Presti said on on Wednesday afternoon that that Billy Donovan's going to return and. You know, the, the, the people that I talk with, you know, feel like it, it doesn't matter whether it was, uh, you know, Billy Donovan or, or, or you know, John Wooden <laughs> um, came to coach uh, the, the, the Thunder. You know, Russell Westbrook has, has one way of playing, and, you know, will he evolve as a player? And that doesn't mean compromise his play. It just means learn a little bit more about time and situation and how to maximize your team. You know, Russell Westbrook has MVP talent. But does he have the, the ability to and, and the willingness to, to have an MVP um, type of, of championship run, right? Remember, Russell Westbrook, and, and listen, a lot of this, he's got valid excuses for why, but Russell Westbrook has never won a playoff series when he's been the, without question, best player on his team. Okay, so he's never won even a playoff series. Last year losing in Houston and this year uh, losing the first round of Utah. That says something for a guy who's supposed to be a top five player in this league. Uh, most top five players in this league, you know, go to the NBA Finals, not, not struggle to get out of the first round. Last thing I want to ask you here, uh, a couple of coaches are going to be hired eventually. We do have one already, though. J.B. Bickerstaff hired in Memphis. What can Grizzly fans expect for him? You know, I think that you're getting one of the true bright young minds who, you know, I'll give you all the cliches, comes from a basketball family and one of the great coaches in, in Bernie Bickerstaff. But, but I think it's important you know, to see what the Grizzlies are doing, you know, the, hopefully the management and, and ownership now truly buys into the player development aspect of things. You know, they had a great player development guy in, in David Fizell, and that didn't work. Um, but, but, you know, the Grizzlies are so far away. Now, then, are they so far away from making the playoffs? No, but they're so far away from being a serious contender, uh, you know, as, as they were, you know, three, four years ago, that it's not worth going to spend big money on a guy who you're, probably is not going to be around once your team uh, eventually reaches the expectation you have for them, which is probably three to four years away. Got to make some smart draft decisions. They got to make some, they got to make some strategic trades here. And it might require giving up some of those draft picks or giving up a Marcus all or a Mike Conley. I'm not suggesting you do either of those, but, but those are options that, that the Grizzlies are going to truly have to consider as they embrace uh, developing some of their, their, their young talent that they have. Jared Greenberg, Sirius XM, NBA Radio, NBA TV, joining us here on Press Row. Appreciate it, my man. Thanks so much. You got it, man. Enjoy the playoffs.
All right, Jared Greenberg, NBA TV, Sirius XM, NBA Radio. And, and listen, I said it, you know, before we had him on there. Uh, there's something, Russell Westbrook is the common denominator, and, and there's something about not being able to play them. I mean, you even look at, you know, look at Carmelo when he was in New York and how much, how many different players they tried to bring in to help Carmelo win, and they all end up leaving. At, at some point, you got to put it aside and just say, you know what, let's win a championship. Uh, and, and evolve your game from a mental standpoint. And I don't know if Russell Westbrook has the capability to do that just yet. When he does, they'll be great. But, I mean, all those guys that we rattled off have either won a championship or are very close to winning a championship, and Russell is not. So um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. It'll be a lot of fun to see what happens here over the next couple of games in, in, uh, in the playoffs and what happens this offseason. Because if Carmelo and Paul George both leave OKC, uh, it's going to be a really bad year, bad year for the Thunder. Plenty more to come when we get back here on Press Row. Of course, your listener questions uh, as well and some of the other big headlines in sports. It's all coming up just a little bit. This is Press Row on the Public House Media Network. This is Ryan Pierce, host of Completely Serious here on Public House Media. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Once you're done with this episode, I hope you'll come check out my show, Completely Serious, where we talk about sports and have fun with great guests. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode of Completely Serious. Thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on Public House Media. Listen to every episode and get the latest shows sent right to you. Subscribe to Press Row on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Or visit us online at www.thephmedia.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast. If you're in the game, well, then the stroke's the word. Don't take no rhythm. Don't take no style. May 3rd, 2018 here on this Thursday. Christian Heimel with you on Press Row, part of the Public House Media Network. Don't forget to check us out on social media, Press Row by Public House Media, Twitter and Instagram page, Press Row at PHM. You can also email the show, PressRowPHM at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with me on Twitter, at Chris Heimel, C-H-R-I-S-H-E-I-M-A-L-L. A couple of headlines here heading into tonight. you got some fun matchups going on. You've got, of course, Stanley Cup playoffs, Washington at Pittsburgh. Caps looking to take a 3-1 lead. Same with Winnipeg at home over Nashville after a big win for them in Game 3. In the NBA tonight, you got a couple of big games. Celtics at home against Philadelphia. Cleveland in Toronto as well in the Eastern Conference. A lot of interesting stuff going on. Now that we've had the NFL draft is when you're really going to start seeing many more of these stories ramp up uh, with regards to the NFL. And, of course, Tom Brady making news again this week um, when asked if he felt appreciated by the Patriots, saying uh, he pled the fifth. Um, I, I don't know what to think. Like, do you think Brady needs uh, appreciation from from Robert Kraft or Bill Belichick? I mean, the guy's won five Super Bowls. He's going to go down as the greatest to ever play the game. Is there, you know, any reason why he needs that? I mean, I, I've always felt this with Brady when the the comments came out that he wasn't sure if he was going to continue on this year. I thought a lot of it was 
a big smokescreen because he wasn't pleased with how Robert Kraft kind of number one and Bill Belichick for that matter let you know Danny Amendola go to Miami um, how they let Nate Solder as well as one of their other offensive linemen leave in the offseason Brady's trying to play till he's 45 at least he's trying to play another five years you know so if he doesn't have a good offensive line to keep him standing upright if he doesn't have a good wide receiving core to throw the ball to he can't compete at that high level um, and he's going to play that high level. He'll, he'll only play for as long as he can play competitively, uh, just like any other athlete will. Um, so when he said he wasn't going to come back, I looked at the draft really importantly. If, if there were rumors that the Patriots were really interested in Lamar Jackson, and now you're hearing rumors that they were really interested in Baker Mayfield, with, by the Patriots taking an offensive lineman with their first pick and then taking Sony Michelle, which I thought was a brilliant move by them to take Sony Michelle at 31, um, you're telling Tom Brady, we're committing to you. We're committing to giving you an offense that you can still run and you can still compete at. And that, I thought, was big. Because if they had taken a quarterback in the first round, that would have signaled the end of the Bill Belichick-Tom Brady era, in my opinion. You don't draft your quarterback's replacement for you know the next—you don't expect your quarterback replacement to take over in two years. Um, and they, you know, they did not which was a very smart move by the Patriots. Uh, now, granted, do they really have anybody to back up Tom Brady? No. Do they really have much of a way in terms of, um, you know, if anything goes awry, um, if, you know, say Brady gets hurt again, who do they have, you know, back there? Who can they really go after and get? I mean, Brian Hoyer, okay, great. They're going to sign somebody else. You know that. The question is who. But, I mean, this is a team now that – Looks pretty solid. You know, Julian Edelman, you're going to have James White still, Rex Burkhead, and, of course, uh, now Sony Michelle. Chris Hogan still a quality wide receiver. Rob Gronkowski will always be very good. So the Patriots' big issue last year was defense. Um, and now with Matt Patricia gone, you wonder how is that going to affect things. But I also felt that when Josh McDaniels went back against the Colts and said he wasn't going to become the head coach, that to me also signaled that, Belichick and Robert Kraft had a conversation with McDaniel saying this team will be yours in the next three years. That's what I think happened. Um, now, we all know McDaniels, a talented offensive coordinator, wasn't great as a head coach in Denver. Um, a lot of it, of course, didn't have the same talent level that he had in New England. But you never know what's going to happen. And I honestly, firmly, truly believe that this Brady-Belichick era will end within the next three to five years. Um and that Josh McDaniels will be the next head coach of the New England Patriots. Uh, the question is, is who's going to be that next quarterback? And I think we would have found out that a lot sooner had you know there not been a conversation with Brady and Belichick. Does he need some, you know Belichick or, or Kraft to come out and make a statement saying we appreciate Tom Brady for all he's done? No, he doesn't need that. He gets validation by that team putting together the best possible team they can to win championships and constantly competing to win championships. So it, it wasn't that big of a news. Uh, news story when he said he wasn't sure if he was going to play in 2018 and it's not that big of a deal now that he is going to play and now that you know he does he pleads the fifth when asked if uh, he feels appreciated by Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick it's not a big deal he's going to play they're going to win the N the AFC East they're going to compete for another Super Bowl and that's all the validation that Tom Brady needs he's talked about that you know he's got his family he's got his life away from football I think he's pretty set but I also do believe that he wants to prove for this TB12 brand that he's going to play until he's 45. So I would cool your Jets, Patriots fans, on freaking out. 
don't don't lose it. You know, it'll be just fine. Everything will be okay. A um, couple other things in the NFL. Uh, of course, big news this week, of course, being the kickoff idea. Um, they're not going to get rid of it. I don't know if you need to get rid of it. I mean, some of the most exciting plays in football have been on the kickoff. I mean, you think about the Super Bowl. Sean Payton at halftime kicks an onside kick. That's amazing. You get kickoff return for touchdowns. Devin Hester takes one back. The opening kickoff against the Colts. I mean, that, these are some of the most exciting moments in the game, and I understand that they're also some of the more dangerous ones, and that's why you have to change things around a little bit. I do like this idea of making it more like a punt play, quote-unquote, where you basically have a large... It's it's basically a punt instead of a kickoff. You know, I like this idea a little bit because it forces more and requires more um, initiated blocking, you know, standard initiating blocking, as opposed to some guy running 15 yards down at full speed and barreling into somebody else. That's where you get to the big issues, is when you got guys standing flat-footed trying to make a block, and somebody else at 280 pounds comes flying in at 15 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, and just barrels right into the guy you know, with his head down or his shoulder down. So I do like this idea. Um, if you read some of the things that are happening here, the adjustments prompted largely by a group of special teams coaches uh, who traveled to a Wednesday meeting at league headquarters. Uh, this was yesterday. Um, designed to make the kickoff more of a punt play um, at the uh, owners' meetings here coming up in three weeks in Atlanta. Proposed changes were written into a formal document and presented to owners during their May 21st through 23rd meetings in Atlanta. Coverage teams, they lose the five-yard head start they had previously had. So if the kickoff is at, you know, the 35-yard line, then the, the receiving team would also be able to line up at the 35. Five players on each side of the kicker. All wedge blocks get eliminated, including the two-man wedge now. Because they, remember, they got rid of the original wedge a few years back. Um, and now they're not even allowed to have the two next to each other. Eight of those 11 returners would be lined up within 15 yards, and blocking gets prohibited within those 15 yards. No pre-kick motion. So the guys can't, you know, the kicker can't stand back five yards, run up to the ball, and kick it. So I kind of like this. Um, It keeps the excitement, I guess, a little bit in it. But, again, my issue becomes, from a competition standpoint, you know, you, you can't really get rid of all the big collisions, but from a competition standpoint, you can get rid of those moments, and that's bad for the game. This doesn't sound like the ability to still have an onside kick, one of the more exciting plays in the sport, in the game. One of the more exciting plays to deploy in big situations, like I mentioned earlier, with Sean Payton, who is revered for making that call and going with an onside kick at halftime of the Super Bowl, helped the Saints win the Super Bowl that year. You lose that, and this doesn't sound like you have that ability for an onside kick. That's one of my biggest questions, is can you keep the onside kick? Uh, I understand player safety. I completely get it. 71 total concussions on kickoffs alone between 2015 and 2017. Dramatic increase from anywhere else on the field in any other play. So I, I obviously would love to see this change because this is one of the big things that we're focused on in the NFL is player safety. It's a huge thing. But I don't think you can sacrifice the competition that goes with an onside kick, the excitement that goes with that. Because now, what's the point of playing the final three minutes of a game where you're down 10 if you know that you're not going to be able to have the chance at an onside kick should you score on that possession? What's the point of that? 
you, that would have fans, honestly, fans would start leaving a heck of a lot sooner. And that's not what the NFL wants. That's not what the NFL needs. So I like that we're trying to change things. I like that we're coming up with different ideas. I'd really enjoy that this is special teams coaches only that are really kind of putting this together. Mike Westhoff, who's a, a legend uh, from a special teams coach, used to coach the New York Jets um, and was a part of, I believe, the Washington Redskins this past year. Um He's been outspoken. He's been talked to a little bit about this. He's not part of this committee, but um, he's definitely had some some interesting things to say about it. So interesting stuff there. I wonder what they would end up doing, what the full total changes would potentially be. Um, but I, I at least like that there are people trying uh, because it's a, it, that's the important part. You know, they've tried to make the helmet safer. They've tried to make the game safer. Um and changing certain plays is going to happen, you know? So, but uh, again, the biggest issues here for me, number one, is the competition of it. W- will you still be able to have that onside kick? The excitement of that, the competition of that. And two, don't make the kickoff complicated. Don't do that, you know? It, it's it's just, it, it, we the NFL does this. By trying to make things simpler, they make it complicated, which was the whole catch rule, which is why we went backwards with the catch rule. So... I really hope that they really take time to things because, again, I've said this before on many other things. When you try to make a quick change, it becomes an overreaction and usually backfires. So this needs to take time. There's no need to get rid of the kickoffs just yet. Take a couple of years to figure this out. Don't try to do anything rash and make it happen here in this season. Three segments now, one more to go here on Press Row. When we get back, your listener questions, uh, and we'll touch on a little bit There's a new wrinkle in this whole Colin Kaepernick thing, which unfortunately might start to lower just how powerful Colin Kaepernick's message has been. Coming up just a little bit on Press Row. This is Sam Kirby, host of Cinema Stories here on Public House Media. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Once you're done with this episode, I hope you'll come check out my show, Cinema Stories, where we hang out and just talk movie and TV news and reviews, and it's awesome. A new show comes out every single Tuesday. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode of Cinema Stories. Thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on Public House Media. Want to be part of the show? Go to Facebook and search Press Row Podcast Public House Media. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Press Row PHM. You can also email the program Press Row PHM at gmail.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a Public House Media podcast. Closing up shop here on Press Road this Thursday, May 3rd, 2018. Christian Heimel here with you, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, share us with your friends and family, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and, of course, Stitcher, uh, Stitcher.com as well. You can check out thephmedia.com. Get yourself some awesome Press Row swag, a couple T-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, hats, iPhone cases, some socks, all that fun stuff is there at thephmedia.com. You can always get in touch with the show on social media, as you just heard. Twitter and Instagram, at PressRowPHM. Facebook page, PressRow by Public House Media. And, of course, you can email the show, PressRow 
phm at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter as well, at Chris Heimel, C-H-R-I-S-H-E-I-M-A-L-L. Get to some of your listener questions here, as we always like to do. First and foremost, uh, Eric in Virginia, more likely team in the NL East to believe, Philadelphia Phillies or the Atlanta Braves. Both these teams playing really, really well right now, right there uh, at the top of the NL East with the New York Mets and uh uh, I'll be honest. I mean, I love what the Phillies are doing. I, I love how young they are. I love how talented they are. Reese Hoskins is tremendous. Aaron Alther, I love adding Carlos Santana and adding Jake Arietta make them so much more dangerous because Arietta is one of those guys who knows how to pitch in those big situations. He knows what it takes uh, to win uh, these games. And Aaron Nola is a guy who can learn from him. Nick Pavetta. You look at some of these young pitchers on this staff, they need a guy like Arietta to help them out. A guy like Arietta to be one of those leaders in the clubhouse. And if you have listened to what he said at all, uh, he was a little upset about his, um, you know, departure from Chicago. Uh, he said, uh, "Told the Chicago Sun Times, there's not many like me. That's just how it is, man. I view myself as very different than most. I'm not saying I have the best stuff, or I'm the best pitcher, or I have the best command." But just what I do is pretty unique to me. I don't care what the situation is. I bet on myself to get the job done. He seems to be a little upset that the Cubs let him go in favor of you, Darvish. And Cubs fans should probably be upset right now, too, because they aren't getting exactly what they are hoping for out of Darvish. Now, Arietta has pitched incredibly well. Um, a lot of it is because he's changed how he's thrown. He knows he's not going to be able uh, and said that he's he's not going to be able to throw the 93, 94 mile an hour. He's consistently a little bit slower than that, but he's changed how he's been able to throw his breaking stuff, and it's made him that much more dangerous. So adding Arietta to the rotation, adding Carlos Santana to the lineup, those two guys, those veterans who knows what it takes to win, faced each other in the World Series in 2016. They know how to win. Not... You know, to say that guys like Freddie Freeman and Nick Markakis and Ryan Flaherty don't enter Enciarte, but the Braves are still a very young squad. Dansby Swanson, still very young. Preston Tucker in the outfield. Ronald Acuna Jr., who they just brought up earlier this uh, last week, still very, very young. Their pitching staff, uh, Fultonevich, still has a lot to work on. Um, Vizcaino still has some issues to work out there as their closer. Uh, Brandon McCarthy, Julio Tehran. There are still guys that still have a lot to work out, and they haven't been in those situations to be able to actually uh, win a championship. So if I'm going through it now, I know Mike Sorica had a tremendous debut against the Mets, um, but you really can't take that into effect. I still think that Philadelphia, out of those two teams in the National League East, the one to really kind of bet on right now is Philadelphia just because that veteran leadership, those guys who have won division titles, won a World Series in Arietta's case, are that much better to have in your back pocket than anything else. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Wade in Texas. Nate Diaz reportedly returning to the UFC for a possible August 4th date. Uh, should he Will he end up fighting Conor McGregor? Listen, I don't know if he will. I know that that's probably the main reason he would come back. Again, hasn't fought since 2016 uh, in August when he lost that majority decision to Connor um, in their second fight. the big, Everybody's talked about him possibly coming back for another one. He's 33 years old. The only reason he would come back is to fight 
uh, you know, is to fight Connor, I think. Uh, because everybody wants to see a third one. But is Connor ever going to be able to come back after what he pulled in Brooklyn? I don't know. I'd love to see Nate Diaz back. He's an exciting fighter. He knows how to promote a fight really, really well. Um, but it's also been two years. And like we saw from Anderson Silva, if you're not at the top of your game and you're not fully mentally into it, the return can be a little disappointing. So, And that's the last thing I would want is for Nick Diaz to come back, this legend of the sport, and be very disappointing to us all. Um, so... Who knows? We'll see exactly what happens. He hasn't given any discussion, any update, other than a social media post from a few months ago where he said, I'll see you in around May or June. So who knows what we'll find out, but it, it could be interesting to find out uh, if if Nick Diaz comes back. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I wouldn't mind seeing Diaz McGregor again, but again, I also don't want to see McGregor back in the UFC after the stunts that he's pulled before. So I think he's a spoiled brat and needs to you know be put in his place. But that being said, like I said at the top of the show... <laughs> I'll still watch it because it's the best thing that it's the best possible fight that could be made right now. Well, not the best one. I mean, obviously still could be Connor would be the best one, but uh, who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, Joseph in Ohio. Do you agree with Trevor Bauer in that major league baseball has a issue with sticky substances? Look, all right. So this is what Trevor Bauer had to say. Uh, he has put out on Twitter a couple of times, um, saying this was uh this was on Monday or uh, sorry, excuse me Tuesday he said if only there was just a really quick way to increase spin rate like what if you could trade for a player knowing that you could bump his spin rate a couple hundred rpm overnight imagine the steals you could get on the trade market if only that existed a lot of people think that it's been kind of directed at the Houston Astros because of the improved spin rate of Justin Verlander's curveball uh who they got at the trade deadline and Garrett Cole now uh, this year. Uh, Bauer says that Major League Baseball has a problem regarding pitchers using sticky substances to increase spin rates and that Major League Baseball should allow them to use it. Uh, Bauer said, quote, allow it. I don't see that there's a way to enforce it because you can't go check a pitcher every single inning, every single pitch, and that's currently how it is. You can get thrown out of a game and suspended for it if an umpire comes out and checks and finds out, but it doesn't happen. So pick a substance that's sticky that gives you all the performance benefits and just put it on the back of the mound. That way, if you want to use it, you can, and everybody knows it's being used. Uh, and if you want to use other substances and skirt the rule, whatever. Look, I, I get it. We have one, like Vaseline, you know, some of the other stuff, that the stickum that they use. Um, listen, I, I don't like the idea of using and allowing it. There's a reason the rosin is there is to dry your hands so that you have a better grip on the ball. I don't think we need to be adding sticky substances to it as well. Do I think that Major League Baseball has an issue uh, wasn't it just a couple of years ago that Michael Pineda got tossed out of Fenway because of it? We've seen it with other guys. It, baseball is one of those sports that, as much as I love it and as pure as I wish it was, baseball is inherently a cheating, a cheating sport. It's all about how do you get an advantage of another guy. And whether that's a, a, ball, a, a batter using steroids to be able to hit the ball further, whether that's a uh, defender using you know, a, a fielder using a bigger glove to be able to reach it, uh, whether that's you know, or employing the shift or whether that's a pitcher using a sticky substance to get more spin on the ball. Uh, there's always going to be that way. I don't think there's necessarily a problem uh, where it needs to be really fully addressed by Major League Baseball just yet. It's not as rampant as steroids, nowhere close to that. But I do think that a number of people employ it. And uh, I don't know if it needs to be looked at just yet, but it is something that is concerning to me. And I would be very, very afraid of more pitchers using it. And listen, 
if it turns out to be like it's one team, like if it's the Astros doing it, or if it, you know, any other team for that matter, the the Brewers, the Red Sox, the the Mets, whoever it is, if it turns out that it's like a singular team, then that team needs to be punished with draft picks, fines, and you know all that other stuff. Um, but if it becomes one of those things where it's throughout baseball, I don't know. I don't know what needs to happen. I don't think it's as bad as steroids. I don't think it's as bad as Trevor Bauer thinks it is. Um, you know, I just think there's been a much bigger emphasis placed on spin rate over the last couple of years that guys are trying to figure out how to do it better. If batters are going to be able to hit 99 miles an hour out of, out of the ballpark, then you got to find a way to change it. You got to find a way to change their eye level. You got to find a way to really work on your breaking ball. So whether it's artificial or not, I don't 100% know yet. So I can't fully agree with Trevor Bauer, but I do think it is kind of interesting uh, to see him say that and to see some of the people immediately going to the defense uh, of you know that or at least acknowledging it and maybe um, trying to debunk it being Houston Astros players on Twitter. So kind of interesting there. As always, appreciate your guys' feedback, your comments, and your questions on social media. Email us, pressrowphm at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at pressrowphm. Find us on Facebook as well, Press Row by Public House Media. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Heimel, C-H-R-I-S-H-E-I-M-A-L-L. Last thing I want to mention, I don't know how many of you saw this, but this came out yesterday. Uh, Eric Reed, the former 49ers safety, has filed a collusion grievance against the NFL as well, similar to that against uh, that Colin Kaepernick has uh, sent against the league. Um, sources say that it's an attorney. The attorney, Mark uh, Garagos, is, has also represented uh, Colin Kaepernick. Reed was one of the first players to join Kaepernick in the protests. Um, Reed continued on through it. His um, rookie contract just expired in March. He says he's only been contacted by one team, the Bengals, um, and that they asked if he planned to continue kneeling during the anthem. Um, Reed has said he will stop protesting, but did not get a contract offer anyway. Uh, so he's claiming collusion. Uh, his former boss, Niners GM John Lynch, says it's, quote, a slow market at safety. Um, here's my issue. One of the, Every so often when these things happen, and it becomes basically a, you know, oh, yeah, me too, uh, I'm also being a victim here, you jump onto that bandwagon, and try to say that you're also someone who is being colluded against or being wronged um, just to try to make extra noise. And sometimes these things backfire. And that's my biggest concern. Listen, I firmly 100% until you show me true, full, hard evidence that I cannot dispute that the NFL is not colluding against Colin Kaepernick, I believe that the NFL is colluding against Colin Kaepernick. The fact that the Seahawks were going to bring him in for a workout twice now in two years, they were going to bring him in. They brought him in a, a year ago. Uh, they said no. And then they were going to bring him in again this year. And after he said he wouldn't stop protesting, they canceled his you know workout. You can give all the excuses you want, but that to me screams collusion. When another player who hasn't really had as high a pro- profile as Colin Kaepernick does that, this guy made a, he was a, a first-round draft pick in 2013 and has made one Pro Bowl in his four years. That, to me, does not scream. At a, at a position that, really, you don't make a lot of headlines at. That, to me, screams just trying to jump on the bandwagon. And now, listen, I, I'm sh- I, I'm not trying to say anything bad about Eric Reed here or about the movement at all. I think it's it's a noble one. I think it's something that needs to be addressed. And I, like I said, I firmly believe the NFL is colluding against Colin Kaepernick. My concern, though, is that 
this is going to be one of those things where other people are going to start jumping on as well, and it's not going to be taken seriously anymore. And that, to me, is where the big problem lies. At some point, you need to sacrifice your own personal issue for the greater good. Again, I don't want to take anything away from Eric Reed. I really don't. I do think that the NFL has been colluding against its players. Um, I do think they have taken steps to uh, really kind of hamper their players or maybe put certain players uh, away for a little bit because they didn't like some of their actions, i.e. Ezekiel Elliott, i.e. you know Colin Kaepernick. But I don't like when people just start jumping on just for the sake of it. I hope that's not the case here. That's my biggest concern. I really don't want that to be the case. Really appreciate you guys joining us here this week on Press Row. Big thanks to Jared Greenberg, NBA TV, Sirius XM, NBA Radio as well for joining us. Uh, NBA playoffs tonight. You got the Celtics, Sixers, Cavaliers, as well as the Raptors. And, of course, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, Winnipeg and Nashville, Pittsburgh and Washington. Really hope you guys enjoy the show. Don't forget to check us out on social media. Subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. And visit thephmedia.com. Until then, I'm Christian Eimel. I'll see you on Press Row.